You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, Episode 5, for November 18th, 2007. Warning. This week's story contains violence and mature themes. It's probably safe for most audiences, but listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to another episode of the Metamore City Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lester, and I am recording this on a gorgeous night in early October, and I am feeling great. It's about 70 degrees Fahrenheit here in Metro Detroit, Michigan. That's about 21C for those of you in countries using a logical temperature scale. And let me just say, that is unheard of. It got up to 79 today, and it's supposed to hit 84 tomorrow. I have never seen this kind of weather in October before, at least not in recent memory. So for right now, I am going to enjoy it for as long as it lasts, because here in Michigan, it could just as easily be in the 40s in a week or two. Matter of fact, by the time you hear this podcast, it almost certainly will be. But enough of me jabbering about the weather. You guys want to know what happened to Callie and Will, don't you? I left you hanging last time, so this week it gives me great pleasure to present Part 2 of The Muse by Chris Lester. Without further ado, and in the grand tradition of J.C. Hutchins, here is The Story So Far. Will Karenson is a college student with dreams of becoming a famous writer. Lately, though, he's been stymied by a lack of inspiration. Earlier tonight, as he was out walking the streets of Metamore City, he met a beautiful but strange-looking young woman with wild hair and mismatched clothes. Before he even knew what was happening, Will was caught up in a plan to help her escape from a group of street-side thugs. It turned out that the girl, Callie, was actually a runner, a freelance spy who sells her services to the various factions vying for power in the city. Callie had rescued a valuable religious icon from a rogue sorcerer named Trajan, who wanted to destroy it in a ritual that would summon a Balrog to attack his enemies. Will agreed to help Callie keep the icon out of Trajan's hands until after midnight the following night, when the ritual that Trajan plans to use will become powerless. Together, Will and Callie retrieved the icon, but when they got back to Callie's safe house, they realized that Trajan had already set a trap for them. After escaping Trajan's goons with some clever flying, Callie and Will headed for Will's apartment, the only safe place they can think of where Trajan won't be able to find them. And now, the conclusion of The Muse. Will's place was a small studio apartment above an equally small rare bookshop on the second level of the city, not far from Empire University's main campus. The owner of the bookstore had known Will since he'd walked in two years ago looking for a text for his Southlands literature course, and he had been all too happy to rent the studio to Will when he himself found more spacious quarters in Glen Avery. It wasn't the best neighborhood on the second level, but it was quiet enough that Will was able to sleep or write or study in relative peace. "'Welcome to my humble abode,' Will said as they stepped inside. "'Let me give you the tour.' He stepped to the center of the room and turned in a slow circle, gesturing at the kitchen nook, 
the table, the desk, the bookshelf, the dresser, the bed, the single large window behind the bed, and the door to the bathroom. This concludes our tour, he said, smirking. It's nice, Callie said, smiling. It suits you. She unzipped her borrowed jacket and pulled out the bag with the icon, setting it on the kitchen counter, then took off the jacket and handed it to Will. He hung it over the back of the chair in front of the table and turned back to take a look at their hard-won prize. Callie crossed paths with him on the way, heading for the bathroom. Ugh, she moaned softly. I feel like I have dirt and sweat clinging all over me. How about a shower, Will? Help yourself, he said absently, reaching into the bag and pulling out the icon. There are towels and washcloths in the bathroom closet. It was a gold statue of St. Marie, about thirty centimeters tall, including the five-centimeter base. She was dressed in a simple, unadorned robes, her feline tail wrapped around the front of her body, palms pressed together in front of her heart as if in prayer. Her long, flowing hair framed her ageless face, which carried a beatific, peaceful expression. Or at least, so it seemed to Will. It was hard to get much detail on the face of a twenty-five-centimeter-tall figure. The base of the statue was ornamented with flowers, doves, and various abstract patterns. He felt a gentle hand on his shoulder and turned to see Callie standing next to him. She had stripped down to her bra and panties, both of which were made of a satiny material, the bra white, the panties red, and she had one of Will's towels slung over her shoulder. Sure you don't want to join me? She asked, smiling mischievously. You could wash my back. Um, Will had been thrown off his script again. He was just starting to get used to Callie, learning to accept the danger and the excitement that surrounded her, and now here she was, standing in his apartment in her underwear, offering to let him bathe her. His writer's sensibilities really took offense at the implausibility of the whole situation. No, he said at last. Thank you very much, but... No, I- I'll wait in here until you're done. Humph, Callie said, giving him a playful little pout. She walked over toward his dresser. Will admired her backside as she did so. In that case, would you mind getting these clothes washed for me? I assume you have a laundry room somewhere in this building. It's down the hall, Will said, frowning. But I don't think they'll be done by the time you get out. No problem, she said fishing out a t-shirt and a pair of boxers from Will's dresser and gesturing with them. I'll make do. She walked back to the bathroom and shut the door behind her. A moment later, she stuck her head out again and tossed Will her clothes, bra and panties included. Thanks again, Will. You're a sweetheart. The door shut again. Sure, Will said softly, still staring at the door. No problem. Will threw Callie's clothes in the washing machine and set it on fast cycle, hoping that none of her items required any special care. He sat there in front of the machine for a while, almost afraid to go back to the apartment. There was no getting around it. Callie was gorgeous. Sure, her hair was a mess and her breasts weren't very big, but everything else? He shook his head, disbelieving. Whatever else a runner's life might entail, it was keeping her in terrific shape. And right now she was naked in his bathroom. That thought sprang up unbidden again, making him want to bash his head against the washing machine in front of him. You idiot, 
he growled at himself. This is all a big game to her, remember? She's the actress and you're the prop. For God's sake, you just met her a few hours ago. In the silence that followed, he analyzed his monologue to see if there was anything that needed revising. It had sounded good to him, and he was particularly pleased with the metaphor, so he gave it his approval and filed it away for future use. To his credit, he was fully aware of how absurd it was, but then his entire life had become one huge absurdity this evening. He'd been picked up by a beautiful woman who worked as a freelance spy and had volunteered to help keep a crazy street wizard from getting his hands on a holy statue— He'd ridden a swoop through a chase scene, been shot at by machine guns, and had the bullets deflected by a glowing pink ball of light with white sparkles. What the hell was that about, anyway? He felt vaguely insulted again, having been saved by what felt like a deus ex machina. He'd have to ask Callie about that later. Callie. No, don't think about Callie, damn it. Callie. Callie. Callie wearing my boxers. Callie naked. Callie in my bathtub. Callie in my bed. Oh, Eli, help me! He smacked himself, hard, across the cheek, hoping the stinging pain would bring him back to the real world. It didn't help much. Will tried to be a good kid. He really did. He didn't get drunk, or do drugs, or go to the wild street-level parties some of his friends went to. He went to service every Sunday and read his canticle every morning. He was still a virgin, and planned to stay that way until he was married. But if Callie offered herself to him, he wasn't sure he was going to be able to resist her. In fact, he was almost sure he wasn't. It had taken a heroic effort just to say no to taking a shower with her. He straightened up in his chair and took a few long, deep breaths, offering up another silent prayer to Eli. "'You brought her to me for help, and I'll help her,' he thought. "'But you're going to have to give me a hand with this, okay?' "'cause I'm trying very hard to be the noble hero here, "'and she's not making it any easier on me.' "'The buzzer on the washer went off. "'Will pulled out Callie's clothes "'and tossed them in the dryer with a sheet of fabric softener, "'then turned and went back to his apartment. "'Callie was dressed in his clothes "'and sitting at his desk when Will came back. "'Her hair didn't look all that different from the way it had before, "'except that now it was damp and clung a little closer to her head.' She looked up at him and smiled. "'Is this one of your stories?' she asked, gesturing at a yellow legal pad sitting on the desk. She had it open to somewhere in the middle of the pad. Will came over and looked at what she was reading. "'Yes, it is,' he said. "'It's not finished, though. My muse is giving me trouble with it.' "'Your muse?' Callie asked, giving him a look that was half puzzled, half amused. "'Yes, well, not literally, but metaphorically,' he said, sitting on the edge of the desk. "'Most writers refer to their inner voice of inspiration as their muse. "'I think it helps the creative process to imagine that our ideas don't come from ourselves, "'but from some higher power handing them down to us.' "'He chuckled. "'It certainly makes it easier to explain why some days we can write something brilliant "'and other days we can't seem to do anything.' "'Callie smiled. "'A goddess in your head.' Sounds nice. Sometimes, Will agreed with a smile, gazing into her eyes. They were strikingly beautiful, a delicate amber color with little flecks of green. His mind skidded abruptly to a halt. What the? he said, frowning. Callie mirrored his look. What? Will leaned in a little closer to look at her face. Do you wear colored contacts? 
No. Why? Your eyes were green earlier. Now they're amber-colored. What's that about? And while we're on the subject of weird, what the heck was that pink ball of light that saved us earlier? Callie sighed and lowered her eyes. Look, it's late. You better go take your shower. I'll explain later. I promise. Will looked at her for a long moment, then nodded. Okay, fair enough, he said softly. I'll go... yeah. Without another word, he went over to his dresser, picked out some clean boxers, and went into the bathroom. After a moment's thought, he locked the door behind him. Will came out of the bathroom twenty minutes later and found Callie lying fast asleep on his bed. He was a little disappointed, since he'd really wanted to hear her explanation, but he didn't have the heart to wake her up just to satisfy his own curiosity. He took one of the pillows off the bed, pulled the extra blanket out of the bottom drawer of his dresser, and laid down on the floor between the bed and the wall. It wasn't the most comfortable place in the world to sleep, but it would do for tonight. He lay on his back, closed his eyes, and listened to the sound of Callie breathing, until at last he drifted off to sleep. That night he dreamt of Callie. In his dream they were both runners, on a mission together. He wasn't too clear on the plot, this being a dream and all, but he was vaguely aware that it had something to do with a supervillain, a giant laser cannon, and trying to save the world. It was all rather complicated, but eventually they blew up the villain's secret base and escaped from his giant killer hell poodles by hang gliding off a cliff into the jungle below. They landed in a clearing by a large clear pool at the base of a waterfall, and then they took off their clothes and bathed together in the cool, refreshing water. After that, they laid down on the grassy bank, Will on his back, Callie on her stomach with her head resting on his chest. She traced patterns around his left nipple with her finger, while he held her close with his right arm, running his hand along her back, her side, her buttocks, her thigh. She looked up at him, eyes full of love, and said, You gonna get up sometime today, Tiger? Will opened his eyes and blinked, suddenly aware of his surroundings. He was still lying on the floor next to the bed, but so was Callie, nestled against him in the same position as she had been in his dream. Fortunately, she was fully dressed in her own clothes. Unfortunately, he was still caressing her butt. "'Oh, my God!' Will said, starting fully awake. "'Oh, my God, I'm sorry!' He quickly withdrew his hand and splayed it out against the floor as far from Callie as possible. "'No need to apologize,' Callie said easily, still tracing patterns on his chest. "'It was nice, and that must have been uh, quite an interesting dream, from the sounds of it.' Will groaned, turning his face away from her. Her breath carried the scent of his mouthwash, but that only reminded him of the taste in his own mouth. "'Let me up. I have morning breath,' he said, struggling to sit up. Callie got up and sat on the bed, watching him with those curious, sparkling eyes of hers. This morning they were a greenish-blue. "'Your eyes have changed again,' he said, as he walked over to the bathroom in search of the mouthwash. "'You ready yet to tell me what that is?' Callie sighed. (sighs) Sure. I guess I owe you that much. She got up and strolled over to the bathroom door, leaning one hand against the frame while she rested the other one on her hip. She looked up at the ceiling, took a deep breath, then turned back to look at him. I've been keeping some things about myself secret from you, as you've probably figured out. Everything I told you before was true, 
But there's one thing in particular that I didn't mention. She paused and took another breath. I'm not exactly completely human. Will spit out his mouthwash in the sink and turned to look at her sharply. Oh my god, are you a succubus? Not that there's anything wrong with it if you are, he added hastily. It's just, you know, here in the city and all, my mom warned me about... His voice trailed off uncertainly. Callie laughed and shook her head. (laughs) No, I'm not a succubus. Will sighed in relief. But you know what you get when you cross a succubus with an Eladrin? Will frowned. Eladrins were one of the two warrior races of Celestials. Um, not really, he said. Neither did anyone else, Callie said. But whatever it was, that was my father. She lowered her eyes. Or so they told me. I'm sorry, Will said, not really sure what he was sorry for. Callie waved off the words, then turned and wandered over towards the kitchen nook. Will followed her halfway, stopping at his closet to pull out some pants and a shirt. Anyway, you probably know that Aladrins are instinctively aligned with good and Secubae with evil. Though, of course, there are exceptions on both sides. But what you may not know is that both Aladrins and Secubae are aligned with the forces of chaos rather than order. So when my father was born, the predispositions towards good and evil cancelled each other out, but the connection to chaos was still there. She picked up the icon of St. Mariah and ran her fingers idly over its surface. And that connection was passed on to you? Will asked as he pulled on his socks and began hunting for some shoes. Yep, the Lightbringers say I'm what they call a Kansan, a person with the blood of chaotic outsiders in my veins. I have this chaos aura of sorts that follows me around wherever I go. Which basically means that weird or unlikely things tend to happen more often when I'm around. And that explains the eyes and the hair, Will suggested, grinning up at her. She returned the expression. Yeah. You've noticed that I can't do a thing with the hair. She brushed a mixed lock of red and gold out of her eyes. And the eyes just seem to change when they feel like it. I can't control it. Or, if I can, I haven't figured out how yet. She shrugged. The aura affects other things, too. And I really can't control that, either. Most of the time, for me, it just means I have good luck. Which is a handy thing when you're a runner. For people around me... She gave him a wry, lopsided smile. It can go either way. Will put on his shoes and began lacing them up. And that pink thing last night? What was that? That's one of the few things I can control. The wizards who study this stuff call it an entropic shield. There's a spell that does the same thing, but mine is natural, a part of my heritage. Unfortunately, after I use it, my chaos aura is drained for a while, and I can't use it again until I've gotten a good night's sleep. I try to save it for emergencies for that reason. That makes sense. Will stood up and raised his eyebrows expectantly. So, now what do we do? Callie smiled slyly. Whatever we want, she purred, sauntering over to him. Like you said, Trajan doesn't know where you live, so we should be in the clear for now. So, I suggest that we go get some breakfast and then... She wrapped her arms around his waist and rested her forehead against his. We'll see what happens. Will closed his eyes and took a deep breath, clenching his teeth together. Would you please not do that? he asked, his voice soft and very hoarse. Callie drew back and looked at him. 
Her expression changed to one of confusion and concern. What's wrong, Will? She asked. Will turned his back on her, taking a few more slow, deep breaths before answering. Callie, I like you, and I really want to help, but you're driving me crazy. What? How? By doing things like that, he blurted, his voice sounding loud even in his own ears. The words came out in a rush. You touch me, and you kiss me, and you hold me, and I'm trying so hard to do the right thing here, but you're so beautiful, and all I want to do is tear your clothes off, and... He didn't say screw your brains out, but he thought it. And I know it's all just pretend, he finished sadly, shaking his head. You don't know me. I was just some guy that you picked up on the street to help you get away. It could have been anybody. I was just there. He could have said more, but he doubted it would make matters any better. So he just shut up and stood there, fighting back tears. Will... Callie said gently. She put a hand on his shoulder, but it was different this time. Not a suggestive touch, but a comforting one. Will, I'm sorry. She sighed in frustration. I guess there's a little more succubus in me than I'd like to admit. She muttered. I'm impressed, Will. Really, I am. I don't meet many guys with your integrity in my line of work. Most of them are happy just to enjoy the ride for as long as it lasts. They don't miss me when I'm gone, and I don't miss them. She stepped around in front of him and looked him squarely in the face, her eyes radiating sincerity. You're different, she said. You've still got a warm heart beating in that chest of yours, a heart that still believes in things like romance and true love. I really respect that. She lowered her gaze. You're right. We're still strangers. I really don't know you at all. She looked back up at him, and her lower lip trembled a little bit. But I think I'd like to. Will looked at her for a long moment, and then, scarcely even thinking about it, he reached out and hugged her. It was not an erotic or passionate gesture at all, just an act of comfort and friendship. But it was the most sincere, genuine moment of bonding they'd had since they'd met. I'd like to know you too, Callie he said softly. I really would. Before either of them could say anything further, a knock sounded at the door. Mr. Karenson? A voice called. It sounded deep, gruff, and male. Callie looked at Will questioningly. You expecting anyone? She whispered. Will shook his head. Clutching the icon nervously in one hand, Callie walked over to the door and looked through the peephole. She abruptly turned and came back, a frightened look on her face. I know these guys! They work for Trajan! She hissed. The knocking came again, louder this time. Mr. Garrison, are you in there? The voice asked, more insistent. Okay, Will said, taking a deep breath. You go out the window. I'll talk to them and send them off in the wrong direction. He turned toward the door and shouted, Just a minute! I'm in the bathroom! A second later, there came a sudden, loud thud, and the door cracked visibly from the impact. I don't think they're here to ask questions, Callie said. Rushing over to the window, she quickly opened it and looked out. She looked back and waved to Will. Looks okay. Come on. Will dashed for the window as another loud crack sounded from the door. You first, Callie said. Let yourself down as far as you can, then fall on the awning below. Will did as he was told. There wasn't much to hold on to on the brick wall of the building, so he just gripped the windowsill and let his arms fully extend before letting himself drop. 
The awning in front of the bookstore was only about three feet below him at that point, and he landed softly. Unfortunately, the awning tore loose under his weight, but he managed to land on his feet. Callie shut the window most of the way, leaving it slightly ajar as if to let in fresh air, then dropped down beside him a moment later, legs absorbing the fall like a cat's. No sooner had she landed than they heard the sharp crack of the apartment door breaking loose under the blows from Trajan's men. Come on! Callie shouted, racing for the nearby garage where her swoop was parked. They got to the vehicle and had just climbed aboard when the back door to the garage burst open and three thugs with guns came racing out, less than twenty feet behind them. Callie cursed and raised another entropic shield a split second before they opened fire, then gunned the engine and rocketed out of the garage. I am not going through this again, she snarled. Spinning the swoop around, she pointed it straight at the gunmen who were still trying to fire through her shield. Then, opening up the throttle again, she blasted forward. Trajan's thugs were apparently not too clear on what the entropic shield did, because they kept firing at her instead of getting out of the way. By the time they realized that even their point-blank shots were going awry, it was too late. Callie spun the swoop around at the last second and hit them with the broadside of her mount, catching one of them in the face and the other two in the chest. All three went flying like rag dolls. She swung around in a wide loop, snatching up each of their guns as she passed, then stopped and pointed one of the weapons at her fallen attackers. Callie, Will said, protesting. Callie ignored him. Taking careful aim, she pumped one round into each of the men's kneecaps. Then she handed Will one of the guns, pocketed the other two, and raced off down the skyway. How did they find us? Will asked, when it became evident that there were no others chasing them. Divination, Callie explained. That bastard Trajan must have done a spell to locate the icon. Those spells are tricky. I didn't think he'd be able to pull it off. Will felt a cold pit of fear gnawing at his stomach. If he can do that, he'll be able to find us anywhere. Not if we get someone to mask its aura for us, Callie said. Fortunately, I know just the guy. Will stood on the sidewalk and gazed up dubiously at the front of the store. Are you sure about this guy, Callie? Totally, Callie said, without reservation. He's one of the best wizards in the city, and his prices aren't bad either. What's the matter? Don't you trust me? No, it's not that, but... Will made a face. It just looks so... commercial. Callie grinned. Yeah, he has something for everybody. And this is one of his busiest days of the year. Will believed it. The magic shop didn't open until ten o'clock, but there was already a substantial line forming in front of the door. Signs in the windows announced special last-minute bargains on costumes, candy, props, decorations, and other essential Daedricama party supplies. A smaller, more elegantly lettered sign stated, Need last-minute reagents for your midnight rituals? Don't settle for mass-market bargain supplies. Ask about our premium collection. Why risk backfires? Callie walked up to the front door and knocked. Our tax! She called. Hey! Back of the line, lady, someone protested. Artax! Callie shouted, pounding on the door a bit harder. Come on, buddy, it's an emergency! All right, all right, I'm coming, an irritated voice shouted from back inside. Just a minute. A moment later, an old man appeared at the door. 
He could have been sixty or twice that age. It was difficult to tell. His hair was thick, white, and bushy, and his woolly beard hung down to the middle of his chest. He was dressed in a traditional wizard's robe, complete with the pointed hat that Will had always thought looked rather silly, but on closer inspection it appeared to be just a blue terrycloth bathrobe with white moons and stars printed on it. His feet peeked out beneath the hem of the robe, revealing that he was wearing fuzzy blue slippers. All right, come in, Callie, the man grumbled, pushing the door open so they could enter. And for God's sake, don't touch anything. You know, Artax, Callie said as they followed the wizard down the aisles of knickknacks to the back of the store. My aura doesn't actually get any stronger when I touch something than when I'm just standing next to it. I don't care what those so-called experts tell you, Artax said, not even looking back at her. The last time you were in here, every piece of merchandise you handled backfired within a week. Artax, you sell your merchandise to people who don't know a spell from a hole in the ground. How much stuff do you actually sell that doesn't backfire? It's not my responsibility to judge the competence of the buyer, Artax sniffed. If people refuse to follow simple instructions, they deserve what's coming to them. Better that they have an accident with one of my products than to blunder in the midst of a Daedra summoning. Funny you should mention that, Will said. Yes, yes, you need something to mask the aura of that little trinket you're carrying, Artax said, waving his hand dismissively. I am a wizard, you know. I have just the thing right here in the back. A long wooden counter covered with alchemical equipment lined the back of the shop, behind which was a doorway to a storeroom. Artax went through it and reappeared a moment later, carrying a jar of silvery powder. He gestured at the counter, and Callie placed the statue on it, face up. You uh, may want to stand back a bit, Artax said, removing the lid of the jar and setting it aside. Why? Is that stuff dangerous? Will asked. Not really, but it will send your allergies into a screaming fit for a few days. How did you know I had allergies? Artax looked up at Will and shot him a baleful glare from beneath his bushy white eyebrows. He then glanced significantly to the left, then back at Will, then returned to his work. Will turned in the direction indicated and saw a large wooden sign with the words, Because I'm a wizard, that's how... Oh, right. Slowly, carefully, Artax sprinkled the silver dust onto the statue. The tiny grains of powder stuck to the icon wherever they touched. The wizard completely coated one side, turned it over, and did the same on the other side. Standing the icon on its base, Artax took out a small wand and struck it lightly on St. Mariah's head. Esgalo! he commanded. The powder disappeared in a flash of light, leaving the statue unharmed. He handed the icon back to Callie. There you are. It should be safe from any form of magical detection for the next 48 hours, which is more than enough time to spoil Trajan's plans. Callie gave him a warm, genuine-looking smile. Thanks, Artax. How much do I owe you? It's for a good cause, so let it go at cost. Ten marks, the wizard said, coming out from behind the counter and walking back toward the front of the shop. You can pay at the register. The cash register was at the front of the store to the right of the entrance, atop a typical glass display case with some very atypical-looking jewelry inside it. Another wooden sign on the wall behind the counter stated, Always follow the directions. Let the buyer beware. 
Callie handed the old man a ten-mark bill, and he quickly rang up the sale and handed her a receipt. Thanks again, old man, Callie said. Sorry to make you open up early like this. Oh, that's quite all right, Miss Callie, he said, face wrinkling in a surprisingly good-natured smile. It seemed that the process of money-exchanging hands had brightened his mood. Always happy to help a repeat customer, particularly when it involves spoiling the day for an upstart punk like Trajan. As for you, Master Will, he said, turning to face him, I hope you'll come back sometime to try our goods and services for yourself. For now, here's my card and a bag of Daedrachema candy, free of charge. He handed Will a business card and a small, sealed plastic bag of individually wrapped chocolates. I think you'll enjoy them greatly, he said, his sharp blue eyes twinkling. Oh, thank you, sir. Will put the chocolates in his jacket pocket and shook the old man's hand. Maybe I will be back. I'm sure you will, Artax agreed cheerfully. I... Callie muttered, rolling her eyes. Come on, Will, we better get out of his way. Outside, as they climbed back onto the swoop, Will looked down at the card Artax had given him. Well, I have to admit, he obviously knew what he was doing, he said. But what kind of name is Spells for You, anyway? It's so... Lame. Lame is good. Don't ask me, Callie said, shaking her head, as they pulled away from the shop. I've never been able to figure out how his mind works. They spent much of the day on the move, staying as far from Trajan's territory as possible. Though the icon was now theoretically invisible to scrying, Callie didn't want to give the rogue wizard any chance to find them some other way. Thus, they kept to the north end of the city, stayed on the higher levels, and did some window shopping and sightseeing until the day waned and the sun crept low in the sky. Callie kept the icon and one handgun with her at all times, in case any of Trajan's thugs should make an unwelcome appearance. Will doubted that Callie had a permit to carry such a weapon, but in her profession he suspected that wasn't much of a concern. Anyone with skill enough to be a runner must have had some experience with concealing weapons. As it began to grow dark, Callie took them down to street level again. We're going to have to find a place to spend the night, she said. It's not safe to spend Daedrachema outside. Will shook his head. Is all that talk about wraiths and monsters stalking the streets tonight really true? I never saw any Daedra on Daedrachema back in Haverfield. This isn't Haverfield, Will. Why do you think people started throwing parties on this night? Because it's a good excuse. Because they were afraid to sleep. This whole business with candy and costumes and parties is just whistling past the graveyard. It's something to occupy children's minds so they won't look out the windows. Don't worry, we'll find some place to hole up and then put a ward around it so the Daedra won't bother us. I have some holy water in my saddlebag. They didn't go back to Will's apartment or any of Callie's safe houses for obvious reasons. Instead, after cruising around a bit, Callie decided on a rather small, rather dilapidated warehouse nestled in the shadow of one of the city's trademark skyscrapers. About half a dozen nearly identical warehouses surrounded it on either side. Unlike most of them, this particular one was unlocked. This is good, she said, pulling open the large, heavy door a little more than halfway and peering inside. The door swung open the rest of the way of its own volition and slammed hard against the wall of the warehouse, sending a rather unsettling vibration through the whole building. Go ahead and pull the swoop inside. I'll look for the light switch. We'll ease the swoop forward and set it down next to a large stack of crates. 
He was just shutting down the engine when a dozen dim yellow light bulbs flared to life in the ceiling above them. The place looked even worse with the lights on. There were empty crates strewn haphazardly around the room, some of them visibly rotting, and even the crates that were still sealed looked like they'd suffered from years of abuse and neglect. A wooden balcony ran around the walls, halfway up, providing space for more crates and barrels, but the wooden pilings it was resting on looked like they could give way at any moment. Don't you think we could find a place that's not falling apart? Will asked. Most of the newer warehouses are guarded, Kelly said, walking back toward the open door from the corner where she turned on the lights. Besides, it's not as bad as it looks. If you can't afford to pay for a night watchman, it's in your best interest to let it look like you have nothing worth taking. You'd be surprised at what gets stored in old buildings like this. Hand me that bottle of holy water, will ya? Whatever her tastes and accommodations, Callie knew how to place a ward, and within ten minutes they were safely sealed inside the building. With a long night ahead of them and little to do with it, they put the icon in one of the swoop's saddlebags and settled down to try to sleep. Sometime later, they were awakened by the sound of a mana bolt blasting the lock off of the warehouse door. Quick! Behind the crates! Callie hissed. Will did as he was told. Callie joined him a moment later, armed with the handguns from Trajan's men. The door to the warehouse slammed open a second later, shaking the building again. Peeking over the tops of the crates, Will saw a tall man walk slowly into the room, followed by a dozen human and Luton henchmen. The thugs quickly shut the door behind them, probably to avoid being spotted by any casual observers passing by. Once the door was shut, they pulled out their guns, all of which looked fairly impressive. The man in the middle was dressed head to toe in black leather, boots, pants, and jacket, and carried a gnarled black staff in his left hand. His glossy black hair was swept back, his goatee was neatly trimmed, and his expression was hard and cruel. The only thing visible on him that wasn't black was the gold amulet he wore around his neck. Will didn't doubt for a second that this, indeed, was Trajan. Callie raised her gun and shot the bastard. Unfortunately, Trajan just seemed amused as the bullet vanished in a shower of sparks bare inches from his body. (laughs) Really now, Callie? He said, his voice smooth and casual. Did you expect that to work? I knew you had my men's guns. Surely you expected that I would take certain precautions. Anything's worth a try, Callie said, keeping her head down. Just the same, why don't you set those guns on top of the crate where I can see them and come out here? We need to have a little talk. Behind the crates, Callie motioned to Will to stay out of sight. Then, obediently, she placed the guns in the crate and stepped out into the open, hands splayed outward. I'm impressed, Trajan, she said. I didn't think you'd be able to find me so soon. How'd you manage it? Trajan looked pleased to be asked the question. Really, Callie, you should study more magic, he said patronizingly. I may not be able to sense the icon, but I do know where you live. Given a few stray hairs or a personal item to use as a focus, it's a rather simple matter for a man of my talents to find anyone. Shit, Callie said. Indeed. Now then, where's the icon? Why should I tell you? Trajan sighed. Because if you don't, then I will kill you and search your belongings. And if it isn't there, I'll hunt down your little friend and see if he knows where it is. Then you'll be dead, and I shall be terribly inconvenienced, and neither of us will be happy. Will let out the breath he hadn't realized he'd have been holding. 
Trajan didn't know he was here. Apparently, whatever divination spell he'd used to find Callie could only work on one person at a time. That might give them an advantage, if he could only think of some way to help Callie. The guns were still within easy reach, but they hadn't been very effective thus far and weren't likely to work now. Callie was silent for a long moment. At last, she let out a defeated sigh. All right. If I tell you, do I have your word that you won't kill me or my friend? Trajan spread his hands out. Why would I? You're a good runner. I might have need of you in the future. All I want is my icon so I can go home and finish my ritual. The last thing I need is to have the police investigating a couple of murders. His voice hardened. But don't think that means I won't do it if you force me. Don't worry, I won't, Callie said. She turned and began pacing in a large circle, between Trajan and his men, then over to the pillars under the balcony. Trajan's goons tracked her with their guns wherever she went. Here's the thing. You know that fancy nightclub on the north end of town? Station 53, or whatever it is? All right, Trajan said expectantly. Callie ran her hand idly along each of the pillars as she passed, continuing her slow circle around the warehouse. You know how they have those whirlpools in there? One in each corner of the dance floor? Well, each of those whirlpools is fed water from a central heating tank in the middle of the floor. The tank isn't accessible through the dance floor, but there's a hatch to a crawl space behind the stage that you can use to get in there and open up the tank. On the right-hand side of that crawl space, right by the hatch, there's a small cubby hole where the maintenance guys keep the tools to work on the water tank. It's locked, but the key is in the janitor's closet. You'll find it in an old filing cabinet taped to the inside of the second drawer from the top. By this time, Callie had walked halfway around the room and slowly circled back in front of the crates. And that's where you hid my icon? Callie grinned. Nah, it's in my saddlebag. Just a second. Trajan made an exasperated sound. <laughs> you try my patience, girl. Give me the icon now. All right, all right. Gods, Trajan, I was just messing with you a little. If you don't want to see me mess with that pretty head of yours, you won't waste any more of my time, Trajan snapped. No more time wasting, Callie said, digging out the icon and tossing it to him. Here you go. Have fun summoning your Balrog. When he rips you up into play with your intestines, don't say I didn't warn you. Trajan caught the icon easily and gave her a condescending look. Thank you for your concern, Callie, but I have the manor well in hand. Do enjoy your evening. The rogue wizard turned to go, joining his men beside the entrance. The one in front pushed open the door. It swung back and crashed into the side of the building and a dozen decaying wooden pillars suddenly cracked and collapsed. All along the wall by the warehouse door, the balcony gave way and fell to pieces, raining heavy crates and barrels down on Trajan and his men. The mage may have planned for bullets in his protection spell, but heavy blunt objects apparently weren't included, as a large crate landed on his head and drove him to the floor. Ah! Several more containers of similar weight piled up on him and most of his men, leaving the rest to stare in horror at what had become of their master. Boss? One of them said, uncertainly. Trajan's body didn't move. Will snatched up the guns on top of the crate and came out into the open, training one of them on the survivors from Trajan's gang. Callie, catch! he said, tossing her one of the other two. Callie caught the pistol and pointed it at Trajan's men. 
They pointed their own guns back at her, unsure of what to do. Go ahead. Check him, Callie offered. Two of the gang members did so, pushing the crates and barrels aside so they could reach Trajan. Will could see the bloodstain on the floor that was already large and growing larger. One of the gangers checked Trajan's pulse, then looked up and shook his head. The other one, who had helped him, turned on Callie, pointing an accusing finger. He's dead, Luton snarled. You killed our bossy bitch. Cry me a river, Greeny. Look, you've got nothing to gain by killing me. If you've talked to your buddies who tried to whack us at the garage, you already know your bullets probably aren't going to work anyway. Furthermore, even if you did kill me, I should remind you that you are standing in a decaying building. If it did that while I'm just standing here, how do you think it's going to react to my death? The thugs looked worried. They obviously hadn't considered that. Come on, guys, Callie said, looking and sounding more conciliatory. I'm sorry about your boss, but we're all street rats here, right? Let's just forget this whole thing. It's not worth it. One of the thugs looked down at their dead leader. Yeah, you're right, he said at last. It's not worth it. Looking back up, he nodded at her. See you around, runner. Slowly, he backed away until he was outside the building then sidestepped until he was out of sight. After a moment, the other survivors did likewise. Will and Callie lowered their guns. Will didn't know how to get the round out of the chamber, so he just put the safety on and handed it back to Callie. He shook his head. I can't believe they just let us go. Callie shrugged. That's politics on the street for you, she said, walking over to Trajan's body and retrieving the icon. Next week? Next month, next year, we could be working for the same people. It doesn't pay to hold grudges down here, especially over a dead gang leader. All of them end up dead, sooner or later. Will nodded. I take it we don't tell the police about this? We were never here, Callie agreed. I'll leave the guns by the bodies and wipe the place for fingerprints before we leave. They could still use an augury to find out who was here, but they probably won't bother. Trajan was a thief and a murderer, and he got what he deserved. These men who worked for him were no better. The MCPD has better things to do with its time than figure out what happened to these bastards. Come on, let's take this icon back to St. Marais. I thought you said it wasn't safe to be out on Daedra Kama. It isn't, but it also isn't safe to stay on the scene of something like this. There's too great a chance that you'll leave evidence behind. Besides, our ward was shot from the moment they opened the door. Let's just clean this place up and get the hell out of here, and hope our luck holds long enough to get to the cathedral. Will smirked. For you, I don't think luck is going to be a problem. Much to their relief, Will and Callie reached St. Marais without further incident, though Will was at least half sure that he'd spotted a few strange-looking creatures lurking in alleys as they drove by. Not surprisingly, the priests were awake, and allowing the cathedral to be used as a refuge for those with no other safe place to go. How come opening the doors doesn't wreck their ward? Will asked as they were let inside. It's not a ward. It's consecrated ground, Callie said. Daedra just can't come in here. The head priest of the cathedral, Father Jonathan, accepted the icon back gratefully, thanking Callie profusely for keeping it safe. After handing it over to one of the altar boys for cleaning, he took Callie into his office and handed her a check, which she folded in half and placed in her pocket without looking at it. She thanked him, bowed, and then came out to join Will in the hallway. 
I want you to have some of this, she said, patting the pocket where she'd placed the check. You're going to need it to get that door fixed, and you deserve some compensation for the stuff I've put you through in the last 24 hours. Well, Will said with a lopsided grin, I'll definitely take the money, but it was my pleasure. In spite of all the danger and all the craziness, it felt good, you know, to do something worthwhile, saving the city and all. Besides, he added, this little adventure has given me some great story ideas. Oh yeah? Callie smiled. Will nodded. You know, it's funny. When you found me out on the street last night, I was looking for inspiration. Looking for my muse. He wrapped his arms around her and drew her close, then smiled again. I think I found her, he said. They kissed once, lightly, sweetly, and almost innocently, and then drew apart and clasped each other's hands. So, J. William Karenson, Callie said, eyes sparkling, what do you want to do for the rest of the night? Will grinned. I heard one of our fraternities is throwing a major party tonight. The next day, Callie was awakened a little after noon by the sound of her telephone. After fumbling around for a few seconds, she found the receiver and placed it against her ear. Hello? Callie? Oh, thank you, Eli. Listen, I need your help. She frowned. Who is this? What? Oh, it's me, Will. Callie sat up and rubbed the sleep from her eyes. Will? Geez, your voice sounds different. Are you sick? Not exactly, the voice replied. I got up a couple of hours ago to do some writing, and I ate some of those chocolates that Artax gave to me. Oh, no. Callie groaned. What do you need? That depends. How long is this going to last? How many candies did you eat? Callie asked. There was a brief pause. Twelve, Will said. Callie went rigid. Gods, twelve. You ate twelve of them? Well, they were small. Will said, a little defensively. And they tasted so good, I kept eating them without hardly thinking about it. It's not like they kicked in right away, you know. Callie sighed. Well, I hope you really enjoyed them, Will, because you're going to be stuck like that for twelve days. There was a long pause. Will? Callie asked. Uh, yeah. I'm still here. The voice sounded shaken. Okay, look. I'll come right over. What do you need? I would have thought that was obvious. Callie let out an exasperated sigh. <sighs> size, Will. What size? I don't know. I've never done this before. Will sounded as frustrated as Callie felt, and maybe a little hysterical as well. Callie gazed up at the ceiling. <sighs> well, do you think you can use mine? On the other end of the line, Will looked down at the large, shapely breasts now hanging on her very female body. I think I can wear some of them, she said. But the bra's going to be a problem. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. Hello, I'm Christiana Ellis. 
What's all this about the sound of awesome, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. It's all about synergizing the energy. sound of my voice. I, I need your help. My name is Princess Trelana from the frontier planet of Maltani. For centuries we have lived in peace until now. Led by a vicious band of interstellar criminals, an insurrection has been spawned, and my father, the rightful ruler of our world, has been <laughs> deposed and murdered. I myself only just managed to escape with the help of Stevan, my father's most trusted advisor. We are now on the run. But all is not lost. Though the insurrection leaders have taken our capital, they have not yet discovered my father's secret accounts. We must access these funds, equivalent to ten million credits, if we are to amass the forces necessary to retake our homeworld. Alas, these criminals have flagged all transactions from the royal family, so our only hope is to transfer the funds to the account of an off-worlder. An off-worlder like you. I need your help, and we are prepared to offer you ten percent of the total amount for your cooperation in this matter. Please reply to me at the Intergalactic Communications Web at www.spacecasey.com. You're our only hope. And so you can see, the peanut butter is always important. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Chris Miller, and I'm one of the hosts of the Nano Monkeys podcast. The Nano Monkeys is a daily podcast, three to five minutes usually, where we give you tips and tricks on how to get through National Novel Writing Month. If you'd like to join us, please head over to www.teampodcast.net slash nanomonkeys. And shouldn't you be writing faster? This is Nobilis from the Nobilis Erotica podcast, nobilis.libsyn.com, and you're listening to Metamore City. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this performance of The Muse. I want to give a special thanks to my voice actors. Callie was played by Becky Viper. Artax was played by Brian Watson. And Trajan was played by Bill Bowman. I'm quite pleased with how this story turned out, and I'm even more pleased to be able to tell you that, from this point on, every episode of the Metamore City podcast will feature a full voice cast. We have got some of the finest voice talents in the potosphere lined up to help bring you these stories. Like whom, you ask? How about Cunning Minx of Polyamory Weekly? Mer Lafferty of I Should Be Writing? T. Morris of Moravi and Billabub Paddings? Philippa Ballantyne of Whispers at the Edge. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. Stay tuned, because if you've liked Metamore City so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.5 license. If you like it, share it with a friend, or post about us on your blog. You can also vote for us at Podcast Pickle and Podcast Alley, or post a review of us on Yahoo!, if you want to send us comments, you can do it at feedback at metamorcity.com, 
or you can leave us a voicemail at 206-350-7333. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some sound effects for this podcast were provided by the Free Sound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. The music for this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.